dear ones. You're listening to the What God Is Not podcast with Father Michael O'Loughlin and Mother Natalia. Hello, listeners. This is Father Michael. Today's episode is Mother Natalia's, but it's also kind of Mother Ileana's. We have Mother Ileana, one of the nuns from Christ the Bridegroom, who ended a few years before Mother Natalia did, uh, on here talking about her wonderful book, which is called... The Light of His <laughs> Eyes. <laughs> Journeying from Self-Contempt to the Father's Delight. I wanted to get there, get the entire title in there by our mother, Ileana, and uh, by Sophia Institute Press. And the book is, is filled with Mother Ileana's stories from her life that reflect so well upon the way that God the Father notices her childlikenesses, give her a childlikeness, and, and gives her assurances throughout her life that allow her to move from any sense of self-contempt, obviously put there by the evil one, um, towards a, a resting and a contentment with God's love. So she tells some stories, she reads a bit from the book, she builds upon it with a movie she saw recently that was so helpful with the same theme. She gives some wonderful quotes um, from others that she has heard recently uh, to fill out the, the theme of the book in a way that makes it very, very personal for her. Um, so we thank her for coming on and for that. There's also some things that even though that was very much, she has a very different personality than mine that were extremely inspiring to me, not only in the book, but also in the things that she mentioned um, after that. And uh, I also loved the quote at the very beginning of the podcast. We were talking about being rebellious during the banter. And she says, becoming a nun is the most rebellious thing I have ever done. Something so deep to think about as that's probably more rebellious than most of the things that the greatest rebel in the world has done is is give a finger to the world, if you will, and, uh, and become a nun. So... Uh, thank you, Mother Eliana, for coming on. And if you are a hashtag banter hater, you can skip ahead about six minutes and 45 seconds at the end of this announcement. Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory to him forever. Glory forever. Oh, that's funny. Mother Eliana says it the way that I do, Father Michael. Oh, all these rebels who disobey our bishops. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> our bishop has not told us to say glory forever. I, I gotta uh, be careful with I gotta I gotta be careful with Mother Eliana because I don't know if she knows I'm joking here. Um, I can tell by the <laughs> smile on your face, but I okay. didn't know we were supposed okay. to say glory forever. It's the first time I'm hearing it. We're we're really not. It's it's the bishops <laughs> have <laughs> the bishops have promulgated materials for our youth through um, um, ECF that all has glory forever in it. So we 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 copy what we're teaching our youth. I see. so um. The youth are just going to think you're a bunch of rebels, but I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, of all the of all the people, I think Mother Eliana and Mother Natalia are not <laughs> the rebel type. Um, you, you guys are rebellious in your own ways. I was ways. just about There's to say, something. actually, like yeah. we're pretty well. Mother Eliana is not really rebellious about anything <laughs> other than becoming a nun. She's like a rebel to the world, um, mm, but in pretty go. much I any like other that. way, she's not. Yeah, becoming a nun is probably the most rebellious thing I've ever done. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not that I haven't done bad things, but to be specific about rebellion, becoming a nun yeah. fits. Um, the uh, I think Mother Eliana sees me as kind of a rebel, though. Is rebel the same as reckless? That's true. Because you're pretty reckless. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. <laughs> Um, though that didn't come to light until I had to take some kind of strong medication because of whiplash. And Mother Natalia asked me 
do you think I'm reckless? And I said, yes. She was like, oh my goodness. Because usually Mother Eliana, like, I'm, she surely already thought that. Like, the Percocet just made her say it. But um, but normally Mother Eliana would say, I wouldn't say reckless. I would just say that maybe sometimes you're a little less careful than you should be. You um, like to do dangerous things. <laughs> Because Mother Eliana is just like the sweetest. Mother Eliana is the one that we um, we played Settlers of Catan uh, with a couple of priest friends who shall not be named, um, and basically like it was just a super terrible experience. And there was a lot of fighting and a lot of like <laughs> wounds that happened, anyways. Um, and because Mother Eliana, like one of the priests, lied to Mother Eliana. Father yep. Michael. Wow. Mother Eliana. And we're all like, Mother Gabrielle and I are both there. Like, we can understand if you had done that to one of us. But who could do that <laughs> to Mother Eliana? <laughs> they told me they'd give me wheat. They didn't give me wheat. Yeah. Oh. It was just really terrible. It Anyways. was a sad day. Is that is that lying or is that just playing the game? It's it lying. It's just lying to my face. It's a lie. This, this is my rebellious spirit just asking legal lawyer type questions. Regarding gameplay and sin. If if you it's literally a lie. It's the <laughs> definition of a lie. Like maybe so you, they were lying play to play the game. That's fine, but it's still a lie. <laughs> so when you play Balderdash, is it just like sin after sin after sin after sin after sin? I don't remember how to First of all, I didn't say it was a sin. I said it was a lie. <laughs> so precision of language, Father Michael, because it was literally a lie. Whether or not the lie was justified, whether or not the lie is supposed to be part of a game, that's fine. That's a different conversation, but it was literally a lie. Well, Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no, no. Everything else is from the evil one. So I don't know. Maybe Settlers of Catan is so evil. <laughs> I don't know. I felt pretty evil while we were playing. <laughs> it was real terrible. Um, I'm just I'm just totally trying to get your goat. I, there, there's, I know there's you are. A, I, I, I believe that it was a lie and this priest is condemned in my sight. I <laughs> know. Um, Mother Eliana is also um, uh, like the one in the monastery who messes up idioms as badly as I do. Um, yes. She has We're the tied. excuse of Ukrainian is her first language, so she's <laughs> technically ESL. Um, I have no such excuse, but I don't know. It's pretty bad. So I hope we use an idiom today and mess it up by accident just for fun. Yeah. I just said one that I don't know if it's real or not. Um, get your, get your goat. goat. I think that that's what made me think of it when you said get your goat. Oh. Um, I think it is, but you're asking probably the two worst people you can possibly ask. So I'm going to Google. You should look it up. Are you Googling it right now? Yes. Okay. The most recent one um, was I said I needed a slug of water. <laughs> yes, a slug of water. Mm, tasty. <laughs> so, that sounds Some of us disgusting. have started saying that just for fun. Hey, can I have a slug of water? Um, I, I, said, I said at our meeting today, we had a house meeting this morning, and I said I'd like to make a movement about something. <laughs> and Mother Petra was like, you mean make a motion? And I was like, oh, yes. <laughs> Instead, it kind of sounds like a little two-year-old having its first doo-doo on the toilet or something. <laughs> I have to make a movement. What two-year-old would say that? No one. I don't know why that just popped in my head. <laughs> 
So the we'll first, the out. first thing I have to say about my little idiom was that um, at least when I Googled it, the first thing to pop up was an Urban Dictionary, which is a good sign okay. <laughs> that I, I wasn't saying something scandalous. Um, and secondly, I used it correctly. It just means to irritate, to annoy, or to irritate. Oh, um, but I don't know why. You've always got my goat. <laughs> oh, here we go. Here we go. So according to Dictionary.com, this expression comes from a tradition in horse racing. Thought to have a calming effect on high-strung thoroughbreds, a goat was placed in the horse's stall on the night before the race. Unscrupulous opponents would then steal the goat in an effort to upset the horse and cause to, to lose the race. You are unscrupulous, so that <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I am the definition of unscrupulous. This is true. Yeah. Well, anyways, we're, we're just going to seamlessly transition into our topic. Um and I can actually seem fully transition in if you want. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, seamlessly seem. You can yes. actually seamlessly. Um, fine, yes, do I it. can actually seamlessly. Um, so I was going to say, no, it's about being unscrupulous. Okay, go. So yeah, do it. I was honored. <laughs> I was honored. <laughs> I was honored when Mother Ileana asked me to read her book ahead of time. And to comment on it because what I did, Mother Eliana, because by comment I have on it, my, you mean like write a review for the book? Write a review yeah, on okay. it for the book. Um, I, which I'm honored to be in the in the front cover there, along with a bunch of other holier people than me. Um, but but the what I what I did was because I have ADHD. I just you sent it to me in a Word document, which was wonderful, and so I cut and pasted the entire thing and put it into my text to voice app and I had a lovely Australian woman read me the entire book <laughs> as, as I was driving back and forth um, to, to all of my uh, to all of my assignments. And the reason why I mentioned that in the context of being unscrupulous is because part of my presumption, the opposite of my scrupulosity, um, makes the way that Jesus works with you, Mother Eliana, and the way he works with me, very, very different. And so it was the fact that you asked me to to read it mm. and to give her a, a, just a short review of it, which I delighted in. Um, I learned something about your heart and about many of my spiritual children's hearts mm. and my especially my spiritual daughter's hearts by reading it because... Um, the way the the comforts that you're so eloquent about in this book, the comforts that our Lord gives you, um, is just shows how much He deals with each of us completely individually. Because for me, comfort is the last thing I need from God. <laughs> I need God to like whoop me in the behind and be like, "Go get it, repent." You know, live a life of asceticism. Love others with great zeal. You're you're not doing enough. You're not loving enough. You're not doing anything. And and those things are in no way bring me shame. They just they bring me like I I know I know I know. Sorry, I know I know. And then I then I get going. Um, the the comfort is the thing that I that I very naturally feel almost like, and I, I lean into too much, and it, it keeps me from doing the the very zealous intentional. Um, things that I know our Lord's asking me to do. So you, thank you for this book because I know that it was probably written for hearts that are opposite of mine, <laughs> the hearts that need to know have a have a beautiful story of how God has brought 
love and comfort and in a persisting, consistent way in your life. Um, and and it, it's it's good for me to hear that in in such a way that you were so eloquent about because then it allows me to have something to say. I know our Lord works this way in people, and I have stories. I know someone that 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 He worked that way in their life, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna pray for that and try to encourage you to receive those same gifts from our Lord. Hmm. And instead of uh, setting out to annoy and irritate the nuns. <laughs> <laughs> as a goal. Yeah. Um, but you know what strikes me is that um, both of those are very childlike qualities, right? Mm. The child mm. that just knows they're loved, and so they'll just go for it. They'll run right, they'll jump right in the deep end of the pool, not knowing how to swim yeah. because they don't care because they know someone's going to come help them. <laughs> um, yep. And then the child who's scared of even getting near the pool and needs to be coaxed. Um, mm. Both of those are still the qualities of little children. Beautiful image. So the the reason that what Mother Eliana was just saying um, is very relevant is the the reason that we're having her on today is because I asked if she was willing to come on to talk about her um, book that she just had published through Sophia Institute Press. Is that who? Yeah, um, and which Father Michael wrote a review for. But the entire book is about um, basically like learning to be a child of the Father, um, learning the Father's delight in you, learning um, that you are, quote-unquote, the light of his eyes, which is uh, what you ended up naming the book, The Light of His Eyes. Um, did you choose the title, or did they choose the title? Sophia? I chose it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought what would be actually kind of fun is, um, you know how sometimes at, like, book signings, they, they'll have the, the author, like, read a section of the book out loud, do a reading. Mm. Um, and I thought it would be fun to have, I'm going to have Mother Eliana actually do two readings um, during the episode, but I'm going to have her start by reading the introduction. That way we can hear it in her voice because all of the stuff that's in the introduction is how I would want to introduce the book anyways um, and explain why we're why we're having her here. So I'm going to have her do a reading of the introduction. Um, and I think it's, it's a really, it's a beautiful book. I would encourage everyone to buy it. I would encourage you, it's you can get it on Amazon, sort of. It says it's unavailable right now. I don't know why. Maybe because they don't love sold Jesus. Sold out. Um, <laughs> or it's sold out. Um, <laughs> but uh, you can buy it for the same price, I think. Just it's maybe more because of shipping um, through Sophia Institute Press. Mm-hmm. And um, it's on sale right now at Sophia Institute Press, so it's a little less expensive okay. if you go directly to them. And it's um, beautiful to be able to support their ministry. Yeah, exactly. So. so I would encourage you to buy it through Sophia Institute Press, even if it means waiting a couple more days for shipping. Um, and because we've talked on this podcast before about how we need to be trying to move past our modes of instant gratification, and so you can wait a little bit for the book to come. Mm-hmm. But then also... Um, this book is so much of what we've talked about at various points on the podcast that people have responded really well to and really loved about like this concept of learning to be and not do and mm-hmm. this concept of letting the Father delight in you and this concept of learning identity before just going out on mission and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, yeah, so if you could just, Mother Eliana, go ahead and read for us um, sure. your introduction. Sure, here we go. The title of the book is The Light of His Eyes, Journeying from Self-Contempt to the Father's Delight. And this is the introduction. Not too long ago, I began to understand what St. John meant when he said that if all the things Jesus said and did were written down, the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. 
Everything Jesus does is infinite. Therefore, trying to describe all he does is also infinite. This might be the reason I find God so indescribable and have never had the desire to write a book about him. It is also likely the reason I find myself easily overwhelmed when I undertake spiritual reading. The saints have written so much. Where could I even begin? As with all things in life, when we don't know what or how to do something, when we don't know what or how to do something, we turn to our Lord. He asked me to write this book in the moment that I had lost the desire for spiritual reading altogether. This is the great irony of this book and how the whole thing started. I had been on a little retreat, and while reading a fantastic book about prayer, I became frustrated. I threw the book down and exclaimed to the Lord, I don't want to read about you anymore. I want you. I realized that the most beautiful things I had ever learned about him I had not read in books. No, rather they had been things I knew because he had written them on my heart. And in that same moment of realization, he wrote on my heart the content of this book. I must admit I was shaken. I immediately protested as Moses had once protested, but I'm a painter, not a writer. I paint precisely because I can't find the words to express what I feel. I'm a nurse, not a theologian. How could I ever write a book about the things of God? My protests were futile, however, and I knew the futility of them even while I was protesting. But God did not require my ability. He asked only my consent. He was simply asking me to share with you the reason for my joy. The very heart of this joy comes from the knowledge deep in my soul that I am not just a child of God, but his own child, and that I delight his heart. His heart delights in me particularly. To make sense of this for you, I am sharing a few stories about how I came to this understanding. I want to write this simply as I would write a letter to a friend. I pray that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel by awakening within your own heart a deeper understanding of what it means to be his own child, to be the very light of his eyes. Beautiful. Thank you. I just want to mention, too, that um, there's the references in there because you are an icon writer, mm. painter, and you are a nurse, mm. um, an RN. So th- those two things are, are are important for that. But also, did you did you do the icon on the front, Mother? Yes, all the icons in the book are, are my icons. Oh, beautiful. Um, okay. That, that just chapter. dawned on me when you were reading that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. each chapter starts with an icon that is loosely related to the theme of the chapter. Mm. <laughs> beautiful. Which Mother Ileana... Um, very aptly said uh, when the book came out. She's like, it makes sense that a book that I wrote would be filled with pictures. <laughs> um, I spent my childhood um, reading picture books, <laughs> a.k.a. Okay. looking at the pictures in books <laughs> and not reading any of it. <laughs> um, There's a yeah. brilliant book that I've read once in, like in, in, the, in this bookstore. Um, I forget his name. He, he's an actor. He was on The Office. Oh, and he, yes, he wrote- you. Or no, 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 the book with no... The book with no pictures or something like this. Where you read exactly what you say. I mean, yeah. you say exactly what you read. Yes. And, and, and I think Novak. it's just called the... Be, thank you, BJ Novak. Mm-hmm. Like the book with no pictures. So, so all it is is massive letters that someone reads to kids or that the kids read themselves. And it, it's just, it's a really well done idea to like say kids want pictures but here's an entire book for kids without pictures and yet there's still a way of of doing that in a way and i i the the opposite is true usually 
kids just love pictures or you know a few short phrases but this was anyway well well done in a creative way of engaging with children in a unique way i i made my um i bought that book for angelo my nephew when he was um maybe like Five or so, um, and I made my dad read it to him, and I made my dad first promise because my dad had no idea what this book was. I was like, "You have to promise that you're going to read exactly what it says," and my dad was like, "Yeah, of course I will." And so, like after he promised, I gave it to him. And when you're reading this book out loud, it's just got like the most utterly ridiculous stuff. And so, as he's saying it all out loud, like um, Angelo is just like peeling with laughter, squealing with laughter. Peels of laughter. Mm, peels of laughter. It happened. I, yes. It, it. Yes. <laughs> I was hoping it would happen. Um, yeah. So anyways, I love that line though. Um, and you and I talked about this yesterday, I think, Mother Eliana, a couple days ago, that line where you said that um, he wasn't asking, he didn't require your ability. Mm-hmm. He just required your consent. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it's it's beautiful because like, it's very meta because yes, that is, the reason this book came about, but it's also like even one of the points of the book, right? Mm-hmm. Is that like um, all of the work that God is doing, he's doing within us and we only have to consent. He's mm-hmm. not requiring um, us to have these great abilities. It's it's like the enunciation, you know, mm-hmm. of just like, let this be, let it be done unto me according to your word. It's not a, a protesting. And um, so I just mm-hmm. thought that was really beautiful. Because if I would look at my gifts and talents, writing books was not on the top of that list. In fact, uh, it actually struck me as I was reading it just now. Um, I, I said I didn't ever desire to write a book about God because God's so indescribable. I never desired to write any book about anything. Yeah. <laughs> this was just not one of my dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, so when the Lord put it on my heart to do this, it was really shocking. Um, and it was a work that he really had to do in me. I know um, it's like when Carol Hauslander talks about Mary, it wasn't that Mary did something, it was that she let something be mm-hmm. done to her. And it was like, I had to let God do this in me and through me. Like I still had to work on it and I still had to do it. <laughs> I wasn't just transcribing something God <laughs> was saying, but um but I had to really trust that that was his work in me. Which is actually, I think that's a really good tie-in to one of the other things that I wanted us to talk about, um, which may sound at first like it's totally unrelated, but it's very <laughs> much the same thing. <laughs> uh, when Because as you're talking about how like you never even had a desire to write a book. Mm-hmm. Um, like, in fact, just so everyone knows, Mother Eliana like, gave permission for me to mm-hmm. talk about this. Like, you actually really struggled with mm-hmm. reading and writing growing up. Yeah. Like, it was really hard for you to, to read and write. And then later you realized that's probably because you needed glasses, and so you mm-hmm. just couldn't. Um, so anyways, <laughs> we were watching this movie the other night that Mother Eliana actually requested for her feast day, because mm-hmm. we just celebrated the Feast of St. Elijah. And um, Mother Eliana, do you want to tell us the name of the movie? <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea how to pronounce it. It's an Indian movie, so I'm probably saying it with a Ukrainian accent. But it's something like Tare Zamin Par, which means every child is special. So if you Google a movie, every child is special, I'm sure you'll be able to find it. So, yeah, which disclaimer, I, I've told a couple people about this movie, and I'm like, if you look it up, it's called Every Child is Special. And then I kind of throw up in my mouth a little because it's just like the <laughs> cheesiest title. Um, and I'm like, I promise the movie is so much better than the title mm-hmm. sounds. Um, we watched it on YouTube for free. And it was, I was really surprised. 
I don't know if this is actually the case or if this was God's particular love for Mother Eliana on her feast day. Um, it's a, it's an almost three hour long movie. And, um, but there were no ads on YouTube for the movie, but it was, there was like, which means it was illegal. It was oh. illegal. <laughs> there was an maybe. ad right at the beginning and then not. Yeah. Anymore. So, um, but not even like the beginning, beginning. It's like three minutes into the movie or something. There was one ad that popped up and we were like, oh no, this is going to keep happening for the whole movie. And then it just didn't, there were no more. And I don't know how that's possible. Oh man, if it was illegal. Me neither. That's crazy. No, I'm just oh, why would you tell this to Mother Eliana and me? I'm sorry. Please, nobody sorry. tell us. Listeners, if it was illegal, it was an accident. Please it don't. Accident. It was the only. Anyways. Um, I take so much delight in you guys squirming. I apologize. I, I don't think I you do, do apologize. <laughs> you're laughing so much right now. I don't think you're actually. He said there's at no the repentance. That he seek, he sought out to annoy and irritate. So. Yeah. Well, he's just proving that to be true. So, um, anyways, can you give um, a brief summary, Mother Ileana, about the movie? Um, Mother Ileana and I are both very anti spoiler. Uh, there's going to have to be somewhat of a spoiler, but maybe just like leave out some of the biggest spoilers. Um, yeah, spoiler alert for sure. Um, it's uh, about a boy who is dyslexic, and he's struggling incredibly in school. He's struggling in his family. He's struggling in all of his relationships because he has all this pent-up frustration um, because he can't read because the, ladder, the letters are swimming. Um, but he's being forced to read, and he's being punished perpetually um, and being called lazy and um, an idiot um, perpetually. And um, after uh, like an hour of 45 minutes of complete and utter agony, it's very hard to watch. Um, finally, this teacher comes into his life who actually sees him and recognizes the problem and seeks out ways to actually help this child. And it's incredible. I have goosebumps just thinking about it. It's this incredible um, icon for me of the Father seeing us and knowing us and knowing our poverty and our need, but also knowing our incredible gifts and our beauty. Um, and so when I had seen this movie a few months ago, um, as soon as I saw it, I just thought, oh, I have to share this with my sisters. There's so much in there um, for us to talk about and, and digest. Um, but I really, I do really recommend it. But I do warn you that it's it's very painful to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, and <clears throat> and you know, in in many ways, um, you shared that like you really felt like you related mm-hmm. um, to the little boy in the movie. Um, mm-hmm. You don't have dyslexia, probably, but you really mm-hmm. struggle with reading and writing because of needing glasses. Um, and and you and you pointed out just like for the sake of clarity that like you weren't abused like this boy was mm-hmm. um, for that, but that you definitely could relate to just the mm-hmm. shame and the like feeling stupid mm-hmm. and, and all of that. And I think that's a thing of, um, that's what makes it a very relatable movie is because like I'm watching this movie and everything inside of me is um, doing all sorts of crazy things. And like, I'm weeping during the movie and um I was very far above my grade level for both reading and writing. And, you know, like I didn't struggle with those things at all, but I, 
I have failures and I have weaknesses and I have areas that I feel stupid and that Mm -hmm. I feel ashamed of my lack and ashamed of my weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And so it's like everyone can relate to that aspect of it Mm -hmm. and to the aspect of of people's response um, kind of being a a place in which we we feel that shame. And and I think that's a lot of what your book is talking about overcoming, Mm -hmm. is overcoming... um, the shame and the feeling inadequate and the feeling stupid and just um, basically emphasizing like we need to act out of and live out of the truth of how the father sees us and his delight in us Mm -hmm. um, because he does not look at us as though we're stupid. He does not look at us in any way in which we should be ashamed um, and acting out of and living out of that as opposed to, um, to the other, you know, can you, can you share that, that Dr. Thompson quote that you Oh yeah, I just read that. I read it this morning and I thought, wow, that's just perfect. Um, Dr. Kurt Thompson, he's a Christian psychiatrist. He wrote a book called The Soul of Shame. And I just read this morning, a quote of his, um, he says, we're all born looking for someone looking for us. Like we're all born looking for the face of love, basically. Um, as soon as we're born, we're already trying to find who's going to take care of me, who's going to love me. Um, and ultimately, the Father sees and loves each one of us. Um, I just recently, um, whenever I pray, I'm always asking the Father, like, what word do you want to speak to my heart today? And usually I don't hear anything, um, but every once in a while, he'll either like put some scripture verse into my mind or or something. And, and so I, was, I prayed that, and he just said, you. And I was like, What? Um, and he said, didn't I knit you together in your mother's womb? You're a word spoken to the world. You're my word spoken to the world. Like when God created each of us, he created us that way um, mm-hmm. with each unique gift and unique attribute. And and that's a word sp- spoken to a very hurting world. Um, and so uh, now I've lost the train of thought. I don't remember what question you asked me. I just asked you to share the quote, which you did. Um, But because that's the thing is like this little boy in the movie was just aching for someone to actually see him. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's finally what happened. And, and the thing is, um, well, actually I'll get to that maybe when I want to talk about your epilogue at the end. Um, But, uh, and then, and then I'll get to that part there. But I think it's, um, it's uh, interesting because like, just as I could relate to, this movie of this like <laughs> little Indian boy um, who has dyslexia um, and seemingly nothing that I can relate to, <laughs> and I'm like, and and I just deeply related to it, and that's that's the truth of your book as well. You know, I I remember reading in one part of it, you say like, um, um, if you're reading this and. Like you, you talked about how something that we all have in common mm. is like brokenness in our families. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, it says I, I say I come from a broken family, and that's a great coincidence because it's something I have in common with each of you. Yeah, um, and I can know that even if I haven't met you mm-hmm. because of sin. Um, each of us comes from brokenness because of sin. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also in the midst of all that redemption um, and a lot of beauty. Yeah. So I think it's just like. I don't know. It's just something that I found um, kind of the, the lessons of, of the book and the movie were, were very similar, but it's also just um, beautiful that anyone can relate to it. Um, I'm sure even Father Michael, who 
who God speaks to his heart in very different ways. He was saying about this book, like, I'm sure there were still moments in which he could relate. Um, and uh, maybe he doesn't need assurances of the things that God has spoken to him because he already knows them. But <laughs> um, yeah, but I I think so, and that that's interesting, Mother Natalia, because that's I I I actually brought some of the. The, the phrases that you learn from our Lord, Mother Liana, I brought some of those into prayer just mm-hmm. to kind of use them and make them my own, mm-hmm. even though I would not have done that naturally. And it, it was, um, it allowed me to focus on the things that I had just assumed. And in a sense, I, so I was able to be thankful and, and, and mm-hmm. act with gratitude in a way that I probably had not been that explicitly thankful mm-hmm. for in the past. Um, and again, I, I, I'm always kind of, and this is probably a sin, but I'm, I'm always waiting for the day when when those gifts will not be given to me so readily. And so, even if that day ever comes, God forbid, then I, I a book like this will give me the language to say I've just been carried and you know and spoon fed this whole time. And now, now that I, our Lord is asking me to put a little bit of work into that appreciation or that receptivity to His love and His grace which is very much my personality. Like, like you got to work for this. You got to work for this. Um, if he d- ever does that, I'll be able to say, well, okay, here's, here, here's how other human beings have asked, received, and appreciated what you give that I've just kind of taken for granted for so long. Hmm. Um, okay, I want to talk about uh, two other portions of the book. Um, one is an excerpt that I'm going to have. It's it's a rather long excerpt, um, but I'm going to have Mother Eliana do another reading. Um, and then uh, after we kind of talk about that a little bit, I want to talk about the epilogue a bit. So uh, something that's interesting about this book is Mother Eliana comes from a very unique background because um, she went to a Protestant school growing up because she grew up as a priest kid uh, since we have married priests in the East. So her her dad is a Ukrainian Catholic priest. Her uncle is a Ukrainian Catholic bishop. And um, it's his feast day today. Mm-hmm. We should call him and sing mm-hmm. for him. So uh, Bishop Hleb, we're recording this on the feast of um, Saints Boris and Gleb or Boris and Hleb. So anyways, uh, Ukrainian Catholic priest kid and her parents didn't want to send her to a public school, but they also didn't want to send her to a Catholic school because all the Roman Catholics are going to be like scandalized by the fact that this kid's dad is a priest. Um, and so they didn't want to put her in an uncomfortable situation there. And so they decided to send her to a Protestant school because like all the kids in Protestant school are a pastor's kid, you know? <laughs> um, and they would be used to that. And so she has like, um, grew up with all the like um, Protestant cartoons and things mm-hmm. like that and Protestant songs and and has that background. Um, and then also uh, really has a love of Roman Catholicism and, and adoration and praise and worship and things like that. Uh, but she's an Eastern Catholic nun who grew up in an Eastern Catholic household. And so mm-hmm. she like all of these like three different kind of backgrounds come together mm-hmm. in this book. And so I wanted to share her, since this is a Byzantine podcast, I wanted her to share... Um, a section that is uh, kind of uniquely Byzantine in its writing that has a lot of Eastern spirituality in it. So I'm going to have her do um, a reading about that. Uh, this is from the section um, from, what's the, do you know the chapter title? 
Is it this, A Child in Need? Yes. So it's from, the chapter is A Child in Need. This section is called Humanity Decorated by the Seal of Divinity. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. When I receive a little child, I am receiving the Father himself. When he said to me, abide with me in my poverty, as he laid me in the manger with baby Jesus, he said, my poverty. The poverty of the child of the incarnation is the poverty of the Father. But with all the poverty of our humanity, we cannot comprehend what it means for God to become a man. How is it that the creator of all things becomes one of his creatures, even dying as one of them? During Matins on the Sunday of the Forefathers, a line jumped out at me. He who exists from all eternity with the Father and the Spirit now manifests himself on earth as a newborn baby. He who wraps the earth in clouds is wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger of speechless beasts. As I pondered the mystery that the Father became poor in the Incarnation, one of my sisters read out loud this quote from Isaac the Syrian. Today the Bountiful One becomes poor for our sake. Today we receive a gift for which we did not ask. This present day threw open the heavenly door to our prayers. Now the divine being took upon himself the seal of humanity in order for humanity to be decorated by the seal of divinity. It is not simply that he lived in material poverty, though he certainly did that. Jesus was raised in a poor family, was born into abject poverty, and he lived in exile. His earthly parents could afford only two turtle doves, the offering of the poor, when they came to present him in the temple. Incredibly, this poverty of the child of the Incarnation is my poverty too, for he has taken on human nature and so has taken on our poverty. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him. The father hears the infant Jesus crying in the manger, but notice that he does not remove him from the manger. He does not respond by placing him on a rich bed of down. He does not take away our poverty. Rather, he enters into it and he transforms it. I think that um, something that I really love about this section is that um, in the midst of your book, you're not trying to, it's not about being, it's not about, it's not a book about being a child in the sense of like some blissful ignorance or some idealistic world where it's like, we just don't know. It's, it's not naive, I guess, is the thing. Like you're not pretending like suffering doesn't exist and you're not pretending like, um, we don't have crosses to bear. It's very much a, like, we have a father in and through all of that. Um, you know, like towards the end there, when you said that, um, he doesn't take away the poverty, he comes into the poverty. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it's this, this aspect of being a child transforms our very life if we allow it to. Um, and it doesn't make our life necessarily even look different on the outside. Uh, but, it, but it changes the interior, um, which oftentimes changes how we see the outside, um, even if the outside hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, uh, the, I, I've had two things already in this podcast that, that I'm going to include in my topic, which we, which we record next. Because, oh, great. Um, 
because it it just fits so well. But um, one thing, just real quick about the quote. Can you read the Thompson quote again? Thompson. Um, Thompson. We're all born looking for someone looking for us. There we go. So the, there was something about that 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 revealed. Because when I when I read this book, Mother, I I remember you saying you came from a broken family, and and I thought, you know, I know your family wasn't that broken, you know, um, and, and I I know that my family's not broken that broken, but there there is still a there is still a, a a sinfulness about it that 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 we always are are suffering from. So I thought, well, what what if I was a what if I was a parent, I would I would really want to prevent my child from growing up and saying they came from a broken family, you know? Um, and so what do you do as a parent? Like what, what, what do you do to try to bring about the fact that I, my child is not going to be going to a priest and saying, you know, I struggle with this and I've been had it since I was a child. Most of the people that come to me with struggles, all it all began in their childhood. And so, and I've seen this so incredibly often that I go, what, what is it? Like, how do parents prevent this brokenness? But what that Thompson quote and like the way you explained it, like we can't, this, hmm. this is what, this is what original sin does. It's not like our parents. I mean, obviously some of our parents do things that are very, very wrong, but, but, but even if those of us who have near ideal parents, like I would consider mine, you know, that there's a, that there's still a, there's a sense where we are born longing for something more than just good parents. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we're, we're born longing for something more than just having the proper upbringing. That, that, if, if, even if we had perfect parents, we would still be missing something. We'd mm-hmm. still be longing for something. And that's what sin brought into the world. So looking for someone looking for us, even if, I can tell you as a priest, I, you know, I, it, it annoys me. And I know this is the case with every single human being, but I'm, I, I want to be enough for my spiritual children. Like I, I want, if, if, a, if one of my spiritual children, one of my parishioners is having a bad day, I want to be able to fix their day. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to like, like just invite me. Let, let's have a conversation. If you're having a bad day, call me. If you're having a bad month, come talk to me. Like, like that's so arrogant in a sense, because of course they need Christ, mm-hmm. but we, every parent wants to be everything to their child or at least prevent this feeling of brokenness. But think it just, it's, it's, I need to think about it more, but there's definitely a sense of we are born with probably one of those Protestant songs you grew up with mother really on it. We're born with a God sized hole in our heart, right? There, there, there's something lacking that only God can fulfill. And the parent, the, a good parent or a good spiritual father, good pastor, just uh, like the mother of God does, right? We, we point people to Christ and, and, and their pilgrimage to Christ is going to be a journey. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a pilgrimage. It's going to take time and it's going to take probably our entire life. That's why God gave us an entire life. So there is in a sense of just like the the waypoints on this pilgrimage for you, Mother Eliana, are all these beautiful stories you tell in your book about the God assuring you of his love for you and 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 identifying you as someone who's beautifully childlike and and that that he is going to care for as he cares for children all, as he cares for all of us my waypoints are going to be different but mm-hmm. it, it's it's very similar as you mentioned in the beginning mother Liliani, though there's still a certain childlikeness to me in a sense to use your your analogy i jump right into the deep end knowing that god's going to save me <laughs> and then you're a little more hesitant because it's the deep end right mm-hmm. so so <laughs> understandably so so that there's this that there is this brokenness if you will because of sin that we are all start off our life with and 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 we need to be filled with that be filled with Christ of course 
Because um, our parents will never be able to be God for us. Yeah. Like even I, I was really struck. I was reading a book about Saint Teresa of Lisieux about her parents, and they're both saints. Um, and I'm reading about her <laughs> father, um, um, Saint Louis Martin, and. I'm just like overwhelmed. This guy is just so holy. <laughs> it's just really beautiful. Um, and then I thought about that in light of St. Therese's Christmas conversion, where it's her dad is the one who sees her shoes by the fireplace and says, oh, like something along the lines of, thank God this is the last time. Like he's so exhausted and he just doesn't even want to do this right now. Mm-hmm. And that hurt Therese deeply. But it was the turning point in her life. It was a huge conversion that she experienced. And so it's very much um, what this little section was about that I was just reading is that God transforms that poverty, right? Even St. Louis Martin is going to say something insensitive, um, but that's not the end of the story. Like Mm -hmm. God transforms that. And um, so even when our parents say something that's terribly wounding to us, that's still not the end of the story or even are um, like physically abusive in some way, um, that's not the end of the story either. God can enter into that and um, transform that too. And and I'm also reminded of a moment where um, one of my spiritual fathers was praying for me and he was praying for a healing of my wounds. And he said something along the lines of that they would be sweeter, that it would be sweeter that I'd had the wounds and had them healed than if I'd never had them mm. for the sweetness of the healing. Um, and yes. I think that's true for, for all of us. When God enters into our wounds and heals them, um, we get to a place where we're like, we're no longer saying, I wish that hadn't happened, but we're grateful that we've encountered God in a more profound way than we would have if that had never happened. Yeah, because I, I had a, an experience with, uh, when I went on a podcast with my friend Greg Vitaro, he has a, a podcast, and um, he asked me to come on. I was on my home visit, and so my parents went with me, and then um, at the last minute, we were kind of like, well, hey, why don't why don't you guys come on too? And so I was on his podcast with my parents, and at some point, we were talking about, um, I just sounded kind of Canadian, we were talking about... Um, the the patterns of thought that I have that I'm trying to go back to the source of the thought um, to adjust that to to renounce the lie that I'm hearing at the source because oftentimes you know it's like um, we're living out of some lie that we once believed and maybe we no longer believe the lie but we have this habitual thinking and once we can kind of trace back to the source of the thought and realize like, wait a second, I don't even believe that lie anymore. Then it dismisses the rest. And so I was talking about some of those particulars in my life. And when Greg asked my parents on the podcast, like, how is it to hear your daughter talking about this? And, um, my mom was just like, well, I'm just really surprised to hear that she even has these thoughts, you know, and that she's, um, like, it's just really surprising. Um, because like, you know, basically because like we did all the things growing up and like I, I told her that she's beautiful and I told, you know, and it's like, um, and I was like, but mom, like the, the devil tells everyone lies. Like, you, tell, you know, you can have, like you guys are saying, you can have the best parents in the world, but like none of us are immune to 
the voice of the devil. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. You know, like even Jesus heard the devil. Like Jesus didn't succumb to those lies, you know, and he didn't, um, but even he heard him. Um, mm-hmm. So none of us are going to be able to, to totally block out the devil. And so... Um, the which which actually brings me to what I wanted to talk about in your epilogue is you talk about um how like you first wrote this book six years ago mm-hmm. um from the time that it was published you wrote, you first wrote it six years ago and you're continuing to delve more deeply into these things and you're continuing to hear these lessons and and to hear the voice of the father and all of that and. I think the reason your epilogue is really important to have in there is because it can be really disheartening for us when we feel like we've had some big conversion and we feel like we've had some big healing. And then sometime later, we're like back in the same place, seemingly, but we're not actually back in the same place, right? And I think that the reason I say this is because, you know, on occasion it'll happen that like, you'll share something that you're struggling with, um, Mother Eliana. And I might be thinking like, but why are you struggling with this? Because like you wrote about this in the book and like this was healed and you know that this isn't true. But like we still have the things, right? It's like, I don't want any of the nuns to listen to this podcast because all of you guys would be thinking like, she's saying all these things, but she's not living out of that truth at all. Like she still believes all these lies, you know? And it's just like, I'm sure Father Michael, you have this happen all the time with your homilies. And so, so I think the epilogue is important because it tells people like, Yes, I've I've heard this lesson and yes, it even healed something. It's not like it didn't mm-hmm. stick, but it's just like we're forgetful and we often need to hear the same thing over and over again. And yeah. oftentimes when we're hearing it over and over again, we're hearing it and receiving it in a deeper way. And it's like it's not just like we hear a truth, we renounce a lie, and then we never hear that lie again, you mm-hmm. know. Um the struggle happens for our whole life. And and hopefully it's like what I'm finding is happening in my own life is that I'm still hearing a lot of the lies that I have for my whole life, but I'm more quickly recognizing that they're lies and I'm more quickly bouncing back. And I'm more, you know, and as that reaction time shortens, um, then like that's the healing that's happening. So. Yeah, and that's why I put the epilogue in because I didn't want people to think it's like a one and done. (laughs) Like, oh, now she believes the father loves her. She doesn't have to worry about that anymore. And now she's this like hero of the father's love. And no, this is something I have to go to the father every day and actually choose to receive his love. Um, And it's not just, we're just, it gives me a journey of our whole lives. And I like the image in when you look at like Ignatian spirituality and the the desolations and the consolations, there are these constant waves up and down, but it's still moving forward. Um, so even though if I become completely desolate and think the father doesn't love me again, um, when he speaks that word to me again, um, it's it's not because I've gone backwards. It's he's still pulling me forward towards mm-hmm. himself um, and just taking that deeper and deeper. It's almost like each time is laying a, the groundwork for the next time. Um, and I can read my journal from this last month and I can read my journal from six years ago and realize, <laughs> oh, he's saying the same thing. <laughs> um, but I'm receiving it on a deeper level than I did six mm-hmm. years ago. And um, and like the Israelites, I need to keep hearing it over and over. Remember what I did for you. Remember when mm-hmm. I parted the sea. Remember that? Like, yeah, I need to remember that. Mm-hmm. Which is, yeah, that's that's also the beauty of the 
the church liturgical year is like every year we're coming back to the same feasts. We're coming back to the same readings. We're coming back to the, the same rites, you know? And, um, and that's because like, we're at a different place each year, like each year we, and, and it's the beauty of the parables, you know, um, Jesus, that's another thing that I love about your book is like, it's just a collection of stories and what the father has taught you through stories in your life. And this is how Jesus taught. He taught with parables and it's how the desert fathers teach. You know, we, whenever you read about like Abba Moses and Abba Sissos and mm-hmm. so on and so forth, you know, like they're just telling stories in order to teach something. And, um, but we can hear the same stories time and time again. And we're in a different place. We're in a deeper place. We're receiving something different from them. Um, and yeah, so I think it's just, yeah, I think that's just a really encouraging, encouraging thing to remember. Yeah. And I wanted to backtrack a little to, um, when, when my parents first found out about the book and they saw the title, my mom asked me, she goes, were you loved enough as a child? <laughs> she was so concerned when she saw the word self-contempt. And I, I just responded like, this is okay. I'm telling stories from my life, but this is your story too. Like, can you honestly tell me you've never struggled to receive God's love for you as you are? Um, and so I just wanted to, to bring that to light too, that you, I'm telling stories of how I've interacted with the Father and how he's shown me his love, but he loves each of us so uniquely. Mm -hmm. And so the way he shows you love will be probably a little bit different than he shows it to me, but it's still your story. Like when the, and we're one body in Christ. When the father says he loves me, he's saying he loves all his children. Mm -hmm. And so I I would really encourage anyone who does read the book um, to not focus on me, but focus on what the father's speaking to their own heart and his love for them. Amen. All right, any closing thoughts from either of you? No, I, I, the next, the next thing, then my next topic is going to be kind of a pastoral application of apophatic theology. And you've just given me like half of my podcast, by the way. Like, there, there's something about, there's something about this, this lack. That, that we feel that that we are that we experience from the youngest times that our parents cannot fulfill um, and and I love that quote from your spiritual father um, just the the sweetness of the healing is gonna make the wound almost worth it that's probably the wrong the wrong yeah. phrase because we the evil is never a good thing but God takes evil and he makes good out of it and the process of going from evil to good that Christ initiates and Christ walks us through that makes it sweet that that makes it we look back and we say you know there there's no regret there 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 there's a mourning there because it was evil but as Christ always does the 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 sweetness of the healing was was such a joy mm-hmm. that that I in a sense wouldn't have it any other way as far as I can mm-hmm. define that so yeah I also wanted to add that we need to really be gentle with ourselves because someone might say well I don't have that deep a wound like mine is really small compared to my friend who had all of these really dreadful wounds um, and I heard this in a talk once of someone explaining like. You could be in a car accident and need life support, or you could have a broken leg. The broken leg still needs to be attended to, even if it's smaller. You don't need life support, but no doctor is going to say, well, it's just a broken leg, right? Like each of our wounds, no matter how small, um, we need to be very gentle with ourselves and allow to God, 
allow, allow God to come in and heal that because it's not small to Him mm-hmm. and it's not small to you. And if each each of us are sensitive to a greater or lesser degree, so something might affect someone who's more sensitive, and someone else might think, oh, that's not a big deal. Well, no, it was a huge deal. Mm-hmm. And that was a very foundational wound for that person. And that needs to be handled delicately. And um, if you don't have anyone in your life to receive that in a delicate way, to at least um, sit with the Lord with that and know that He's receiving it in a very delicate way. Well, thank you, Mother Eliana. This was great. Thanks for, Thanks for asking me. Yeah. Um, I want to uh, give a few shout-outs real quick. Uh, the first shout-out I want to give actually is to Sophia Institute Press because from everything that Mother Eliana was sharing in the editing process, she was just like, they're amazing. Like, they uh, were so helpful and did a great job editing. And um, and I feel like they really, as I was reading it, like, they did a really great job of making sure that, like, your voice was maintained. Mm-hmm. Like, they didn't change the voice of the book even when they were needing to do edits, and I really yeah. appreciated that. They did a fantastic job. I have a very ardent style, and they did a great job of toning down the ardent a little but preserving <laughs> my voice. I was yeah. just amazed mm-hmm. at the work they did. Um, and then I'm, I want to give uh, five shout-outs to our Patreon supporters, those who support our nonprofit, Fotina. Um, Father Michael and I are trying to slowly give five shout outs, um, per episode so that we can, um, eventually get caught up, (laughs) um, so that we can start just giving shout outs as people sign up to support us on Patreon. So it's hopefully in the future more, um, uh, timely, but, uh, shout out to, um, well, I don't know if I should say, uh, I'm just going to say this, and I think they're fine, um, to Deacon Ted and Sherry uh, from California. We were going to do just, like, first name, last initial, but, like, I feel like I can't not say Deacon. Anyways, so Deacon Ted and Sherry from California, Bethany D. from Texas. Um, we know Bethany. Um, I'm going to be seeing her in a couple days, actually. Uh, Ryan T. from Massachusetts. And I struggled with a Massachusetts one last time, too. I'm real sorry, Massachusetts people. Catherine B. from Pennsylvania and Chad R. from Michigan. So um, thank you all for— From Mother Ileana. <laughs> from Mother Ileana, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Everything on our calendar is um, initials. So, it's, um, so I'm Minnesota, I Am guess. Am I? Yep, no, um, Michigan. <laughs> yep. Um, are any of the others— Mother Theodora is Montana— None of the others. None of the others. Those are all the M's. Okay. Oh, but if Sister Nufri makes her life profession, she'll be Missouri. Oh, true. Yeah. Um, All right. So shout out to all of you. Thank you for supporting our nonprofit, Fotina. Um, We we use Fotina's money to... uh, to help support, well, it funds our podcast, but we also support other Christian ministries that are um, have similar missions to ours. And then um, our biggest... Um, chunk besides this podcast goes to helping the poor and um, trying to do that in um, beautiful and creative ways. So you can find us. Um, Mother Eliana, you can be thinking of your prayer intention if you don't already have one in mind while I do this spiel. Um, you can find us on Instagram and um, Facebook and Goodreads, um, YouTube, audio only. We're on all of the podcast platforms. So 
however you listened to this episode, you can listen to other episodes. Uh, if an episode particularly moves you and you want to share it with someone, um, then please do that. Word of mouth is kind of the best um, evangelization tool in that sense. Uh, buy Mother Eliana's book um, through Sophia Institute Press. The Light of His Eyes is the name of it. Mm. Wow, this is, I'm doing worse than usual on this spiel. Uh, Father Michael's on Twitter at Padre Michael O. And you can email us, whatgodisnotpodcast at gmail.com with questions, comments, concerns, cries of heresy, squeals of delight. Um, is that it for the spiel? I mean, Patreon, we're on Patreon. That's how you got shout outs. Um, you can support us, our nonprofit, Fotina, on Patreon. That's what God is not, is how you find us on Patreon. Our nonprofit Fotina website is photina.org. And I think that's it. So, um, prayer intentions. Uh, I'll go first, and then Father Michael, and then Mother Eliana. I'll ask for prayers for um, a woman named Abby. I met her parents and her sister, one of her sisters. I think she has two, um, at a wedding this past weekend. And... um, which I've already done the wedding couple as a prayer intention. So if that was yours, maybe think of a different one. Um, and uh, so please pray for Abby, um, who is just uh, very beautifully struggling. And so it was a delight to meet her family, and I hope to meet her someday as well. But pray for Abby. Father Michael? Um, I'll ask you to pray for uh, Sister Nufria. We just mentioned her name. And um, as, uh, as she, I'm sure, continues to discern, I don't know, much about what's going on in her life right now. So don't read into that too much, but <laughs> you just said her name and I thought, oh, okay, let's pray for her. So uh, pray for her sister Nufi as she continues to uh, discern and be formed in possibly joining Christ the bridegroom permanently. Um, I'd like to pray for, <clears throat> excuse me, I'd like to pray for anyone who's struggling to receive the Father's love. And that's pretty much all of us. So you all just got prayed for. Um, But especially in a particular way, someone who's really beaten down right now by the devil and not realizing that they're beautiful and delightful and just gorgeous child of God, um, that that would be open for them and they would be able to receive his tender love for them. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks again, Mother Ileana, Mate Ileanochka. And Father Michael, I love you. Um, love you too, both of you, mother. I love mothers. Mother Ileana with um, like a great tenderness, but I, I mean, I love you with a tenderness too. It's just different with women, you know. Uh, like, <laughs> yeah. nope, I hear you. I get it. Um, mother Ileana is my um, playmate at the monastery. We really mm-hmm. like to play together, which is a lot of fun. Nice. So, all right, um, Father, can you give us a blessing? Um, yes, but I was. I like to give the blessing a little bit different than usual. Oh. Um, Mother Ileana, could you just expand on what you just said in your prayer intention, but as like the beginning of a blessing, then I'll give an actual blessing at the end. Mm, like I so in other words, just may our Lord grant you, yeah, like okay. may our Lord grant you to the listeners and then everything mm. you just said, and then I'll give a blessing. Sure. You're much more eloquent than I am about <laughs> that stuff. <laughs> oh, sure. Oh, dear Father in heaven, thank you for loving us. I pray that you would just shower your beloved children with knowledge of their love of your love for them and open their hearts to your tender generous lavish 
love for each of them in such a particular way and help them to know that you delight in them particularly and that they're beautiful and that they're cherished and that they're worthy of love. And may our Lord bless all of you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. 